Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm surrounded by like open, half-empty suitcases because it's useless. <laughs> like you don't want to unpack mid-tour. Yeah. You're you're better off just leaving things packed, swapping stuff out. This must boil your fucking blood, man. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not good for my mentals. Not not a thing that Adam is fa- a fan of. You are a unpack when you get home. Like the yeah. minute you get home, no matter how late you get home, you unpack. Because All the way. You'd, you'd be tossing and turning, thinking about having an undone thing. Yeah. Nothing you hate more than an undone thing. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. And now I'm looking at a bunch of undone things around my room. It's great. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> How has tour been going for you so far? <laughs> I guess better than you. I'm not... <laughs> Why did you ask that way? <laughs> I'm doing great. I, it's because I've got an idea. I thought maybe we could start sharing some tour stories Oh yeah, on the show. So as of this recording, we've done three live shows. I think Toronto will have just happened when this one comes out, right? Right. This is a tour story about something that happened in Minneapolis. Okay. <laughs> and I got some audio for a drop here. Wow. It's not fully produced, so it's going to need to be produced. Okay. You didn't load it onto your roadcaster so that you could live trigger it while we're sitting here? That would be a Ben thing to do. Ben, <laughs> ben has all the quality in-show material. I've got to have it done after the fact. This is a tour story. Tour story! Of two podcasters. Welcome to the greatest generation. Who chose to leave their house. Go on the road and do their show in front of an audience. To find out what happens when things stop being edited oh, no. and start getting real. The tour world. Ben, you were there when this happened to me. There's like stories of embarrassment and then there's stories of embarrassment that happen when you're not wearing very much clothes. <laughs> and this was that kind of combination for me. Yeah. We were enjoying the hot tub area of the hotel we were staying in in Minneapolis. Right. This is a, a rooftop hot tub at a hotel in a city that is so cold that, like, the downtown is designed to let people walk all around it without ever having to go outside. In the tunnel system. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it lived up to its reputation temperature-wise. It was very cold the entire time we were there. And so cold at night that people were, like, putting their towels next to the jacuzzi and they were freezing hard. Yeah. Like, yeah. like they could not be used. <laughs> yeah. Somebody picked up their towel, like, and it, it had been in a lump that had. It looked like one into... of your high school gym socks when they picked it up. Yeah, exactly. It, it, uh, had to break it apart to, to get it to be flexible again. <laughs> <laughs> and we're having a great time. I was having a great time. This yeah. is like one of those jumbo size hot tubs that you can fit a dozen people in. It was fun. You were having a great time because the server came around and when you ordered a drink, he actually brought you one. 
This was a problem that I was seeking to correct. I had a drink and you did not. And I wanted to fix this problem. So I got up <laughs> out of the hot tub, put on my robe and did that walk over broken glass when the pool deck is so cold and you're in bare feet. <laughs> like I walked to the door that led to the bar where I thought I could find the bartender and I opened it up and I turned the corner and I just wasn't thinking about it, Ben, because when I turned the corner, I locked eyes with the people sitting at the corner of the bar yeah. who were dressed really nicely. It's like a Friday night in Minneapolis. <laughs> They're enjoying some highballs or whatever. And I lock eyes with them wearing a very shabbily tied robe over my still <laughs> wet body. <laughs> Because you didn't want to use the towel because then the towel is kicked, right? Yeah. Yeah, we only had the one towel. I only had the one towel. It's not like we were sharing a towel. I had the one towel, and there was like that area where there's a host should be there. Yeah. How long would you wait wet <laughs> where the host is supposed to be at a bar before you give up? <laughs> I feel like I gave it a good 30 seconds of just really hoping that someone would help me and no one did ben wow so then what i did is i turned around and grabbed the door handle of the door behind me and gave it a good pull <laughs> and it was locked <laughs> <laughs> and then i realized the second error which was i did not have my room key on me the room key necessary to enter the pool deck area that was over by the shay long where where my towel was and so i had to trundle down a hall to a different door like leading to the pool locker room right which also required a key yeah so now i'm standing in front of that door for like a good minute there is no one around there because it's it's so far away from the bar and i'm like i'm never gonna I can't get in the elevator and go to my room. I don't have my room key. I'm yeah. I'm super fucked. I'm imagining I'm going to have to go all the way down to the lobby, which is the only place in the entire building worse than next to the bar if you are <laughs> wet in an open robe. Meanwhile, I'm sitting in the hot tub, and I had really been heavily relying on you socially because there were other people in the hot tub, and we'd been having pleasant conversations with them. But the second... A trusted friend is gone. I, I clam right up. So I'm just oh, like, no. oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know these people. I don't know if I can trust anyone. I did not mean to leave you behind that way. <laughs> that wasn't my intent. <laughs> so I'm waiting outside the, it's like an airlock, basically. A door that leads to a locker room that leads out to the pool deck. And no one is around. No one's around for me to even ask to let me in using their room key. Man. Finally. Lady walks around the corner, and I'm like, you're not going to believe this by looking at me, but uh, I actually belong out there, and I left my key. If you could swipe me in, I'd really appreciate it. And she did. She believed I, you. And I trundled back out there, and I, and I got into that hot tub again, which was, it felt so good after being so cold and embarrassed at the same time to just submerge myself in those hot bubs. Yeah. And yeah. feel better again. But uh, the drinkman did not end up coming for like another 10 or 15 minutes. It was a sad state yeah. of affairs. But like, honestly, if I'm a server and I have the choice between serving the warm customers inside and potentially <laughs> slipping and falling on the ice outside. Yeah. 
I know where I'm staying. Yeah, yeah. You can't really hold it against them. <laughs> no, no, and uh, we didn't. We finally got you a nice glass of mezcal, and after those guys were downed, we were on with the rest of our night. But let this be a lesson to everyone out there. Always keep your hotel key on your person. It should yeah. be obvious, but this is the thing. Like We've been so out of practice in hoteling yeah. and being out on tour. We haven't gotten our hotel legs back yet. Yeah, maybe by the time we reach Toronto, that will be the case, but... uh, There's a well-known rule of greatest gen that there's no bits on tips, Adam. Correct. I did a bit in this hotel that I wanted to run by you and see if you can sign off on it or not. Oh, wow. We're really getting double the money for this Marin. (laughs) For this brand new segment on the show. I love it. Lay it on me. So I think we were going to dinner the night before our Minneapolis show, and I like walked out of my room, and as the door was closing, I was like, oh, do I have my key on me? And I slapped my back pocket, and I was like, I've got my wallet, and my key is in mm-hmm. my wallet. I'm good. Mm-hmm. And I hear the door click, and I was like, maybe I should just double check that it's in my wallet. And I look, <laughs> and I'm like, sure enough, yeah. not in the wallet. So <laughs> I go down... And, you know, we're like on our way out the door, but I just stopped by the front desk because I didn't want to deal with it when I got back. And I, uh, the bit I did was, hi, uh, this is your regularly scheduled guy who left his key card in his room on his way out the door. Bits, bits, bits. I got a little chuckle from the clerk at the front desk as he made me a new copy. That's fun. If you're asking what my ruling is, that is way in play. Okay. Because it's not, it's not a tipping situation. No, it's not. But it's also not making fun of the person in any way or making their life more difficult. No, I'm the, I'm the butt of the joke. I mean, totally. I'm only making his life more difficult insofar as I was an idiot and didn't make sure I had my ticket before my door locked behind me. How much of a front desk person's job is it to just replace keys? <laughs> it's got to be 20%, and it goes up to 30% when I'm in the hotel. I'm not trying to take anyone's gerb. They took your job! They took your job! I'm not trying to replace anyone's gerb with a robot. That sounds like a job for me! But it stands to reason that that one specific task could be a robot of some kind, right? There was a feeling that I had like five years ago when phones started to have nfc stuff in them that i was like oh this is just going to be on your phone and you'll never have to ask about it you won't even have to stop at the front desk on the way in yeah and i'm really surprised that that hasn't happened yet more and more hotel chains are doing that hey do you want to just check in on the phone and use your phone as the key and stuff and i've never done it i'm expecting it not to work for whatever reason yeah and i always like the interaction on check-in like i just don't want to go to the room i want to talk to a person and see if they've got a capacity for an upgraded room (laughs) <laughs> you want to slide that $20 across the counter at them and see what they think. Every time. <laughs> and as the official $20 slider of our business, <laughs> since since you crashed and burned in Vegas, I'm, I'm the one that handles that bit of business for us both. You have such a higher batting average and so much more confidence in doing it. I did pretty good on our last leg. I think I got two out of three. Yeah. The petty cash folder uh, really served us well. Yeah. 
But Adam, do you want to see if this episode served us well? Should we get into reviewing season two, episode five of Star Trek, colon, Picard? Sure do, Ben. It's called Fly Me to the Moon. Our first Frakes episode of the season, yeah? True. It is. This one starts with a really intensely strange intercutting where we're cutting back and forth from this astronaut in an emergency situation. You know, she's getting warnings. She's talking to Houston about how there's space debris headed for the ship. And this is a like an astronaut in, you know, our kind of time period, not a future astronaut. Right. Intercutting that with Picard, like, talking to human Laris in her apartment and just uh, kind of shooting the breeze, getting to know her. <laughs> Things are going better in this reality. I think we're really hitting it off. She invited me up to see her etchings. Etchings don't mean etchings. Etchings <laughs> mean sex. <laughs> She is not called Laris. She's called Talum, and she is armed. She has, like, a gun that really reminded me of the old guy in Star Trek Generations gun. Oh, yeah. And that it, like, has that hinging action. Another Elorian. Maybe. Well, I mean, that's an ongoing question without an answer throughout this episode for sure, is, like, what exactly is Talum? Right. Uh, why does she look exactly like Laris? Like, Picard even is like, maybe you're her ancestor, but that doesn't make any sense. Why is he so incurious about this? This is this would be the only thing on my mind. I could not get past this if I were Picard. <laughs> I, I don't mean to make you uncomfortable, but you look exactly like this woman that I really wish I'd smashed before I left my own time period. <laughs> if you're gonna have a sidearm... A sidearm that aims using kind of a three-axis camera gimbal (laughs) situation kind of looks like a good one to have, right? Because that's what this weapon looked like to me. Like one of those little DJI camera gimbal things. An Osmo gun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it looked like an Osmo gun for sure. Yeah. The intercutting is so strange because the tone of the astronaut in emergency situation is so peaked. And the mm-hmm. conversation between Picard and Talum is so, I mean, it's like, it's slightly tense, like it, she does pull out a gun on him, but then they're like sitting in her lounge area, like yeah. talking over why he's here and what he's up to. I like Picard doing all the same character reveals that he did with young Guinan earlier, and none of them are hitting. <laughs> He's like, usually this material kind of works a little bit better. <laughs> it's all right. I mean, sometimes you just have a bad show, and you can't explain it. Yeah. Hard to say why that was, Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> So this, uh, it turns out this astronaut, we've seen her before. She was in the button of the last episode reading the Dixon Hill novel. Appreciation for Dixon Hill runs in the family, as does fairing in space. I mean, it's kind of hard to recognize her in a helmet in an emergency situation. Yeah, I, didn't I don't think I'm an her. idiot for not totally putting the two together until later. No, you probably wouldn't recognize me if I was in this helmet. It's true. I can't breathe in this thing! 
so yeah, it was a simulation, and uh, this is a sim that's being run right ahead of launch, so she's really up in her head. She failed her own personal Kobayashi Maru right before going to actual space. You've probably read all the books and seen all of the documentaries about like the Apollo missions and stuff, and how the astronauts were tested, not just in the tech, but in the psych profiles. Like, they were groomed to be almost robotic in that way. So when you see Rene Picard break here emotionally, it was super concerning for me. I'm like, if launch is three days away, that's not a lot of time to remove all emotional outbursts from your system. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think that there's a lot about the way the Apollo missions were run that... I think NASA looks back on and goes, that was wrong. <laughs> I'm not advocating for uh, for bringing back the greatness of how we select astronauts from the Apollo era. But, I mean, their reasons for filtration via psychoanalysis mm-hmm. make some sense in the way that you don't want someone becoming hyper-emotional in a emergency situation. Yeah, you want somebody that's chill under pressure. And, yeah. uh, it seems like the pressure is definitely getting to her. But that's kind of our dun-dun-dun, the reveal that this is Rene Picard, the astronaut that is going on a mission in a, in a couple of days, nicely fitting in with the established timeline of about when the divergence took place. And she's also the person that Talum watches after. Interesting. After the theme, we're back at the La Serena where the Borg's queen is talking in her sleep. Are we calling her Nana Borgs? Is that just yeah. the christening here? <laughs> Nana Borgs is the sort of old that falls asleep sitting up and uh, she's talking to herself here. Yeah. With a hand on the keyboard, she's typing just like an endless string of R's <laughs> into an email to her grandson. <laughs> I love the idea that a way for her to soothe herself is to listen to a bunch of phone call voices at the same time. Yeah. That is a really nifty bit of character building there that I liked a lot. Yeah. There's some shots of screens in the La Serena where there's sort of like board colored graphics like mushing around in the computer. So it seems like she's not totally cut off from the computer, but she does need to get access to it. And so she tries a bunch of voices and hits on Rios's voice pattern working to unlock systems on the La Serena and enable her to place a cellular phone call. She does that magic trick where she changes her voice. Data did this when he was taken over the ship. So this is a fun callback to all those times, right? Yeah. And uh, she calls La Police. It turns out Picard's voice is super easy to do an impression of. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> I mean, it makes sense that Rios would be the only one who's got voice command here, right? Because this is yeah. dark future ship. timeline La Serena. I mean, shouldn't President Seven also have voice authorization over any ship in the Confederation fleet? Man, good question. Yeah. Uh... I've got a random question about just a a really brief moment in Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 5. Now, we know that Nana Borgs... I'll tell you about why we call her that a little later on. 
like she can do great impressions in order to break into the voice activated security system of the last arena but like if she had done an impression of seven does presidential voice authorization gain her access to the ship i'll just go ahead and take my answer uh over on the merch table Oh, one other thing. She's calling the French police, and the first person she talks to, she speaks English, but then when she gets connected to the police, she speaks French, but in, a, in an American accent. So why did she assume that the telephone operator could speak English? Oh, and one, one last thing, because I, I never, like, God, it's so weird to, like, talk into a microphone. I don't usually have this kind of audience. I thought it was funny, like... Uh, you know how sort of like in America you say all cops are bastards? In France, do you say all French cops are baguettes? That bit, uh, is that bit hitting or do people... Is if it- you want to laugh at that, you can, you can go laugh at me uh, outside in the, in the hall. Tell me how, how that works for you. I'm going to get up on the Roddenberry stage and try some more material uh, in between official things uh so uh yeah check me out get a life probably not a great time to be doing questionable comedic material in a time where comics are getting punched in the face (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile seven and raffi are out in the sticks tracking the bus that Rios is on. He's being moved to a sanctuary zone by Homeland Security, along with a bunch of other undocumented people. And there is a a real debate over how hard we should stomp this butterfly between Raffi and Seven. Time travel rules? What the hell is wrong with you? Right, and the tension is that Raffi is willing to stomp them all. Stupid bug! You go squish now! And Seven is extremely reluctant to do that. As long as I stand perfectly still and don't touch anything, I won't destroy the future. But they come up with a compromise which has to do with the tricorder they've got. They can do a little, like, mini EMP out of the tricorder, and that brings the bus to a stop right in front of them. Perfect. I don't know why there was any debate in the first place. If you you can do this, this is all you need to do. (laughs) (laughs) That should be the argument after the fact is Seven going like, why did you want to like make a huge scene? We could have done this the whole time. <laughs> so uh, the the bus creaks to a stop, and Rio starts telling all the other dudes on it, like, "Get ready! Like, it's about to go down. My friends are are busting me out. Make sure you move really fast." And Ice Guy, who just loves what he does for a living is uh, really pissed off. It seems like he doesn't speak Spanish. So he I was just going to say, how fucking dumb do you have to be as an organization and how idiotic do you have to be as a person within it to not speak the language of your primary target? So fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> just galactically dumb. Yeah. Whatever the opposite of galaxy brain is, that's ice. Keep doing that. I mean, don't keep doing ice stuff. The ice stuff is bad, but keep not learning the language, guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, he he barges in there, and Raffi starts Star Trek fighting him, even though he's got the the hands of the thing. And there's like a fun like origin story on the Kirk chop because the other guy does a full Kirk chop with his hands cuffed. 
Yeah. <laughs> a nice guy. A good hit. And uh, Seven and Raffi take out the driver. They cut everybody's bonds and let him go. Raffi mistakes one of the people on the bus for Elnor, which I think is a really easy mistake to make because this is one of the people on the bus who sliced through an ice agent like right. and cleaved him completely in half. Yeah, he's covered in the guy's blood. And yeah. So, you know, his face is a little bit obscured. <laughs> hey, how and why does Pedro have a cell phone at the end here? Did he have that thing keistered? Doesn't oh, seem like know. you should have one of those on this kind of bus <laughs> ride. Unless the world's dumbest ice agent didn't uh, do the pat down and just let that thing go through. When I was arrested in Queens, one of the guys that I was with got a cell phone into the cell with us and was like making calls and like arranging things. Did it smell like a butt? <laughs> I don't know how he did it because they like they, they made me take like the shoelaces out of my shoes to go in that cell. But somehow that guy snuck a fucking cell phone past them. It would take me so long to make my call if I were <laughs> offered a phone in a cell because I just wouldn't want to touch it. Yeah. I would wait until I had a sandwich bag that I could wrap it in mm -hmm. before dialing the numbers. He doesn't even have AirPods, so he has to like hold it right up to his face. Yeah. Ew. Pedro has pink eye now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Pedro. I mean, the good news is you made it off the bus. The bad news is that... Uh... <laughs> You're going to need a course of antibiotics, and it's yeah. your own damn fault. Yeah. <laughs> Time to go to the free clinic, Pedro. Callum and Picard continue to have their very long conversation in her apartment, and he kind of realizes that she is a Gary Seven type. Gary Seven, he too was recruited by superior beings as an agent who would, in your words, protect the tapestry of history. I love when new Trek calls back to old Trek that I've actually seen. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> I feel like this moment turns to camera and goes, all right, so we've answered all the questions about Talum, but I don't feel like the Gary Seven question answered a bunch of questions about the Gary Seven people, you know? No. <laughs> yeah, but it's just like a, there is a thing that we don't know anything about that does this type of thing. Right. But I yeah, I still have questions. Why do they do it? Yeah, like I understand Gary Seven as an instrument, but I still don't understand the where from or the why. There's a lot of talk about the tapestry of history and making sure that individual threads stay where they're supposed to be. And mm -hmm. Talum describes that as being a big project that she's involved in, but she doesn't have a 30,000 foot view of it. She has a very specific view of it and just trusts that the rest of the project is, you know, working alongside her. And that's very interesting, like that she doesn't have questions herself. Right. I kind of wish they drilled down further into this a little bit more in a philosophical way. Like, is this what people conflate with fate? Mm. Like, if you are a free will versus fate person, is your choice there having to do with whether or not you accept or reject the idea of a Gary Seven type making sure your thread lies flat throughout the course of your life, you know? Yeah, I mean, this definitely feels like they're starting to grapple with some of those ideas, destiny and whatnot. There's like a morality aspect to it that goes totally un 
regarded, though. Yeah. It feels like uh, it's a theme that's being set up, and I wonder if we'll get way more into it over the yeah. course of the season. We get to see Renee in a therapy session. And you monitor it? This is private. Is it? She's wearing her Europa Mission polo shirt there. Yeah. I, I don't know why I assumed the Europa Mission was a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was fun. It was an actual mission the entire time. <laughs> I mean, we aren't totally sure that it isn't at this point, right? <laughs> right. Like, like it, it could be. Yeah, like it's the deep space mission that is also being broadcast as as a reality right. TV program. The Europa mission is filmed before a live studio audience. Mm. <laughs> and Rene Picard has some stage fright. So what Talon describes Renee as being is a person that has crazy high aptitude. She rattles off all these like really impressive early in life accomplishments that this precocious kiddo had, but also that Renee has a anxious and depressive personality, which, man, I wish I was also crazy, super smart like Renee. <laughs> That would make the anxiety and depression go down a little easier. <laughs> I love that that's what made you feel bad in this scene. It's like the idea that like all of our smartest and best and brightest are often saddled with this sort of counterpoint to their personality. I'm just saddled with the counterpoint. <laughs> hey, what gives? She's a real Doogie Hauser type. Yeah. And uh, if you were thinking that you would avoid a theme like this in the Picard show, believing that ideas of mental health being risen to the forefront of a television show might just be in discovery. You're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> that is also what this show is about. I think that this is handled more deftly than it is in discovery though. It's not just grief. There's a push and pull in her life that in some way Talum is there to make sure stays in balance. This also is like, I'm realizing this scene, we're like 13 minutes into the episode. Like Picard and Talum have been having the same conversation for the entire first 13 minutes of this episode. And like, we are now intercutting with a second thing that Renee is right. up to. Right. So uh, this is her exit interview with a psychologist who is meant to be signing off on her mental fitness for duty. And Talum has like tapped into it and has the surveillance footage. And Picard hears the voice of the therapist and is like, I've got to see the face because that voice sounds super familiar. If you could, could you just play, play the voice on a speaker in my nook? <laughs> That's where I'm used to hearing it the most. <laughs> ben, what do you make of Q being reading the paper in the last episode and being eight feet away from her, unrecognized, and now it is revealed that, that Q is the therapist for Rene Picard? What did the last scene mean in the last episode where they're out on the patio together? So he already had the Europa mission patch on his jacket. So presumably in inserting himself in this timeline, he has like established a role for himself. Maybe he's the workplace psychologist and he belonged out on that patio because that was the workplace patio. Yeah, but she's never met him because she's just going in for this final assessment. 
I guess. You know I what? Know. I think I think we broke it. I think <laughs> I think that makes sense. All right. So Picard gets a look at Q and he says, "That's not a therapist. It's a space station." In the next scene, Doctor Soong presents to a panel that includes Leah Thompson. Yeah, famous director Leah Thompson. And this is not a presentation that goes well at all. No. I don't know what it is, but when I kiss you, it's like I'm kissing my brother. He needs more visual aids. I think that's the problem. Mm. How do you expect to hold these people's attention? You start with a joke. Imagine, if you will, I am a god. This is like a panel that is reviewing his funding and his fitness to continue working on the genetic research he's been doing. And it has a very eugenics tinged angle to it in a way that leapt out as very gross right off the bat. I mean, Brent Spiner is just a fuckboy haircut away from, <laughs> from like being the whole thing. <laughs> You know? Yeah. This is also a heavily intercut scene with Soji, or uh, Corey, as she is known in this time period. Everybody's mm-hmm. got a counterpoint in this time period. Yeah. And uh, she's the uh, the daughter of Adam Soong, and she's a bubble girl. She can't go outside, and uh, she's kind of hearing him out after he comes home very disappointed from his meeting. The construction of this is sort of like a reverse Ocean's Eleven, right? So, like, instead of talking about the heist and then seeing it happen perfectly, uh-huh. you see Dr. Soong eating shit in the presentation, <laughs> and then the aftermath at home when he's super disappointed. Totally. One other thing I noticed in this scene is that one of the other panelists is named Vasily Rojenko. Oh! Yeah. Wow. So, there's, there's a lot of threads... <laughs> going on here they really make you read a lot of props on picard yeah i wonder if we're gonna get some wharf in this season oh boy that would be great a cute wharf (laughs) he's just stuck behind a door (laughs) yeah he was trying to get into this episode but yeah he couldn't do it must be sealed boy dr soong jabs a massive needle into his daughter's arm and then processes a sample from it. You can tell that Carrie has had a lot of needles before because this does not affect her in that way that a gauge of needle typically would. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. It, I mean, it, you get really right up in there on the on the angle too. Like the bucatini of <laughs> needles. <laughs> yeah, you could suck a boba through <laughs> through this thing <laughs> with room to spare <laughs> so while she sleeps uh and while we intercut back to this failure at the panel we also see that Zoom is doing some kind of genetic research on his computer involved with the blood sample and uh, he keeps getting results that are like 99.78 percent likelihood of failure so whatever he's trying to do for her is not working. And she she speaks a little bit about, like, when I can go outside, when I can leave the bubble, yeah. I would like to go swimming. And uh, it just doesn't seem like his research is, is bearing any kind of fruit in that regard. 
how did he create all of this wealth? Like, if he's such a bad geneticist yeah. <laughs> who no one wants to have on their board or or give funding to, like, there is a backstory here that we haven't gotten at all. I mean, the only backstory that is hinted at here is that he did something for a private military. Yeah, he got that sweet, sweet contractor money. Some Blackwater dough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So while he is doing his failing research, he gets a sort of uh, The Matrix-style message mm-hmm. on his computer screen. And uh, he gets a bunch of papers sent to him. And then a th- uh, it, the screen says, check your 3D printer. And he turns around. And for some reason, a two-dimensional business card is being printed out on the 3D printer. Can you even print 2D things on a 3D printer? They shouldn't let you. <laughs> yeah, error. Paper jam. What the hell? How expensive are the cartridges on a 3D printer, I wonder? (laughs) Oh, man, they really get you over a barrel if you buy a 3D printer. Yeah. Did you call the number on the card, by the way? No. Call the number on the card. It's fun. (laughs) Oh, shit. I will. Is it too long to drop into the episode? Uh, I think it's more fun if people just call it. Okay. Okay. Here, I'll tell people the number. If yeah, they, good idea. If they missed it in the episode, the number is 323-634-5667. Can you do that again with, hey, Siri, call? <laughs> <laughs> Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below-the-kilt care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. 
We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Back at the chateau, the French police have arrived and it's Leclerc. He's chosen to go in alone. He slid over the uh, the hood of his uh, Citroen police cruiser. Ben, my question is, you're casting a scared Frenchman, mm-hmm. and you don't blow in a call to Manusadia? Like, <laughs> you telling me he wouldn't pick up the phone? I guarantee this, you he would not pick up the phone. This part was made for him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so he's he's like creeping around the haunted chateau and like he is in the same room that Gerardi is in sleeping on a couch but does not see her, does not make her. He is not a good police officer. Nanaborg is so lucky that he found the ship before he found Gerardi. Yeah. Out the window it seems like the La Serena cloak is not doing a great job. Yeah. What did you make of that? And this isn't the first time we've seen it on an exterior shot. I wonder if at some point it's just going to fail and then all hell's going to break loose. Yeah, I I wonder if that's just like what a cloak looks like on a planet surface where it like is much harder to do than just stars or right. whatever. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like shining a flashlight should not make a cloak super obvious but in this case it does maybe it's that the ship is super busted and still in self-repair mode yeah boy uh nana borg's setup inside the compusifix really scares the shit out of him in a in a way that it should yeah he gets uh summoned deeper and deeper into the ship after again we don't get a shot of somebody going from the exterior to the interior of the cloak ship I don't know how many Rob Zombie horror films you need to watch for this (laughs) to not scare you if you're Leclerc. He's clearly not a fan. Uh, Yeah. And uh, when she reveals herself to him, she hentai tentacles him. And uh, it's real, real scary and gross. Yeah. I thought I knew what this tentacle would look like. We see the tentacle later, and I was shocked. (laughs) It's very upsetting. Yeah. My hero. Back in Los Angeles, Dr. Soon gets lunch with Q, who is revealed to have been the person behind the leet hacksawing that we saw earlier. 
Soon gets a lot of these kinds of requests, and he filters for crackpot <laughs> just from jump. He doesn't even sit down when he starts this filtration. I am enough of a crackpot myself, sir. I don't need to team up with another crackpot. Yeah, it's the uh, narcissism of minor crackpot differences. I get everything from basement-dwelling Nazis to rich heiresses who want me to clone their fucking cats. Q has a lot of parlor tricks that he can use to get Soong to stay, and a lot of flowery language to hold his interest. It's an intoxicating combination, I think, if you're Soong here. Yeah, I was thinking about how clever and adept Q seems to still be despite not having finger snappy powers. Like he can still hack a computer. He can still synthesize a serum. He can still predict within one second of accuracy how long it's going to take for somebody to sit down and hear him out. So it seems like he's not completely defanged Yeah. by whatever is causing his lapse in awesomeness of power. He sure does seem to be with it more than he was in those earliest scenes with Picard. Totally. Oh, well, thank you. I worked hard on that. So he's basically proposing a trade, and the upside for him has not been revealed yet, but he gives Soong a... It almost looks like a glass bullet with, like, blue liquid in it. And sure he did. Says, Give this stuff a try. If, uh, if you're interested, maybe we can work together. Dr. Soong's like, how exactly do I administer this? And they cut back to Q, and he just kind of looks knowingly. And Soong's like, really? I mean, I've got a bunch of needles. They're big. I mean, they're really big needles. Are you actually suggesting that it would be more comfortable for, for Corey to take this rectally? Q, again, just doesn't say anything. There's no flared base. <laughs> How big would a would a hypodermic needle need to be for you to choose rectal? I think that the one in this scene I think so too. Probably is that. God. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that's the right choice. I think it's the only choice. Yeah. I mean there's nothing wrong with a little item in the in the old keister, right? <laughs> there's nothing wrong with a little glass in the backpack. <laughs> See? Right there. Crackpot talk. Picard and Tulum are still... I'm calling her Tulum in a a way that's kind of fun, but probably isn't how she'd like her name pronounced. A lot of influencers love to visit her and take (laughs) selfies in her magnificent swimming holes. A very funny part in a very popular Twitter thread of not that long ago. But uh, neither of them can understand why Q won't just snap his fingers and change the timeline. Why all the fucking around with people? Why the games? Is he trying to find out? Or (laughs) Picard is trying to persuade Talum to team up with him. She's describing this big gala that's about to happen ahead of pre-launch core for the Europa mission. Basically saying, like, if we can persuade Renee to get as far as going into core there's probably not a way for her to back out after that and that would preserve the timeline that would preserve the thread yeah and picard has basically got her persuaded okay like there is an actual threat to the timeline that i've been sent here to monitor and he's like okay let's go like do a bunch of stuff and she's like not so fast i kind of work alone and he's actually able to talk her into joining the team 
Was there ever a tension with you in this scene, waiting for that other shoe to drop? The shoe that Guinan specifically described as being a nightmare to work with? Taloma's so agreeable. She disagrees, but like she's reasonable, I guess I should say, in all of the scenes with Picard in a way that I was not expecting. Like, what the hell happened between Guinan and her? <laughs> because I'm not seeing who she's described here. Yeah. I mean, Guinan must have made claw hands at Talum also. Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll get backstory on that. Who knows? Yeah, I'm going to be watching out for that, I think. Back at the chateau, the uh, Nanaborg's voice is ringing across the countryside. <laughs> Where it's permanently night at the chateau. She's really Jeff Dunhaming her voice across the vineyard and into the chateau. And she, she wakes Gerardi up and Gerardi's like, oh, that's racist. And she's like, yeah, yeah, but come quick. I, I need your help. She looks up at the mantle and uh, hits triangle to pick up the sawed-off shotgun. <laughs> Takes it into the La Serena where it changes into a shotgun with a much longer barrel. What's up with the weapons continuity here, guys? Oh, I didn't notice that. You think it's a different gun in the second shot? I mean, either that or, or Allison Pill is extremely wee. And this barrel looks enormous in her, her tiny hands. Okay, I think I know what made it look like that is there is a a light source that casts the shadow of the barrel against the wall when it's mounted that uh, makes it look like a double barrel shotgun. Yeah. Which would make it look shorter. So what you're saying is I need to cast a light at my junk that <laughs> that makes the shadow longer. Mm -hmm. And if I can just make the shadow longer, I can look more. It's about making light and shadow. Mm -hmm. It's about being a painter of light, Ben. Yeah, and uh, and you know when you hold the the ruler up to the gun, <laughs> you can measure all the way from the stock. Yeah, don't measure from the trigger. Measure from the stock for sure. <laughs> so Gerardi wakes up and chooses shotgun and boards the La Serena where the queen has her tentacle wrapped around Leclerc's neck, and uh, God, shout out to the prop department on this tentacle. It is so fucking gross looking. It looks way less Borgy and way more disturbing animal. Yeah. Like, oops, I accidentally clicked on a hentai video. Yeah. It is rough stuff. And Leclerc is no match for it. Yeah. Not only is Leclerc no match for the tentacle, Gerardi is no match for the shit-talking that the Nanoborgs is doing at her in this moment. You're alone, Agnes, in every timeline, every permutation, in every reality of this universe. You are utterly alone. God, this sucks so bad. Like, you are not just a loser, you are dimensionally a loser. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Like, I believe that Gerardi believes this in the moment, but I also think that if she took one step back, she would be like, the Borg Queen has not encountered me in every dimension. Like, she can't possibly know this. That's sort of where I was at, too. Like, I kind of buy the whole idea of quantum mechanics and infinite versions and infinite realities. Like, I might push back on this if I'm a science person like Gerardi. Yeah. I know I'm cool in at least one or two of those universes. 
She pu- pushes back uh, very forcefully by pulling the trigger on the shotgun. She pushes and pulls, huh? Yeah. We cut to Dr. Soong's lab where he is an- analyzing the sample that Q gave him. <laughs> he pulls the scanner from below the frame, just <laughs> clearly out of his butt. <laughs> Oh my God, it works. <laughs> oh boy, does it work in a lot of ways. Woo, works real good. <laughs> so uh, pretty quickly, we are out on the lawn of his Malibu beach house with his uh, his daughter, Corey, and she's got a much more humane looking needle this time. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's still thick, but it's not like that thick. Also, the light source is different. You're working with a natural light. It's not casting such a hard shadow. It doesn't look mm. as big as it might have uh, <laughs> if you put that needle up on a mantle. Right. Yeah. Which is like, you know, there's some something kind of exciting about using a needle out in public, but it may <laughs> reveal some, some things. You want to measure from the plunger with a needle <laughs> like this. They have these drones hovering over them that are casting a shadow to protect her from the sun because she's like violently allergic to sunlight. And air too, it kind of uh, boxes her in. Yeah, and so she injects herself and then he causes the the drone field. I don't know if we're going to have this kind of drone technology in two years, I have to say. (laughs) I mean, you go to Burning Man and you see the drones flying all synchronized and stuff. But that's because you're smoking toad while you're there. And it's like, then you, uh, you come down and you realize... They, that, they aren't actually flying that way. Yeah. <laughs> and it works. She's able to withstand the sunlight. She's uh, able to withstand the air. It's a big relief. Yeah. Dr. Soon's a proud papa. Yeah. I also felt like there is some energy in Spiner's performance all through this that he is like a little bit disappointed that it works also because it because it's he not didn't, his idea yeah yeah and i thought that that was a really nice element to the way he he plays this yeah i like that too there is some nice dimensionality that brent spiner brings to this moment and the whole episode yeah. he is so tightly wound though as a character yeah he really does have that kind of coiled snake aspect to him that uh, feels very dangerous. Protective dad maybe wouldn't let his daughter jump in the pool first thing <laughs> if she's never swam before, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I almost got the hang of it. I wonder, given what happens to Corey on land, if they had entertained the idea of her having this moment in the water. Because there's too, something yeah. that multiplies the terror when someone is going through a medical circumstance like this in the water. Yeah. And there's something visually more intense about it, too, when you see, like, it's the Jaws thing. You see blood in the water, and it's awful. I think that probably what informed this is they knew that we were going to be watching this episode, and we also host the Santa Monica Mountains podcast. <laughs> So we would right. have a unique opportunity to compare a water rescue in this show to Baywatch. And, right. you know, they did it the best, you know, it's it's hard to, you can't compete. What this scene does is stop Dr. Sung from taking off his entire ensemble 
from the <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's collection in order to, to hop in the pool. He doesn't have to do that. Yeah. But she gets back out on the pool deck and the serum wears off and the reaction that her body has to sun exposure when the serum isn't working is really scary to look at. He's like, you put it in your butt, right? And she's like, what? Why would I? You were supposed to keister it. Dad, that's gross. (laughs) You don't have to aim a butt bullet, Ben. Mm. Aim is always true. With the butt bullet. So the first away team returns to La Serena to find Gerardi dripping with blood, the Borg's queen with a chunk blown out of her neck, and Officer Leclerc lying on the bio bed in Six Bay. And uh, Gerardi has, like, patched him up, but he's uh, KO'd. His spleen's in a box over there. And she's also uh, wiped his short-term memory, so... He got the men in black treatment. Yeah, but she's pretty beat up over it. And this is when Talum and Picard return to the ship. And <laughs> I thought this was such a funny moment. I got a genuine LOL when she's like, so what's up with this crew? Can you trust them? And he's like, they're the best. They never do anything crazy. Oh, I'm, I'm sure he's not dead. The reason I'm not in this writer's room is... That I would have, I would have proposed cutting into Leclerc's car when he wakes up. Like, what was in that cigarette? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Loic has played another prank on me. That son of a bitch! Back at the station. <laughs> Those French cigarettes really kick, huh? Always putting DMT into my my galois. (laughs) Back in the Sung estate, uh, Corey's back on the couch resting comfortably. I guess Dr. Sung was able to save her from a condition that looked completely fatal. Yeah, did not look good. (laughs) Yeah. Q is there making the case for like, first one's free, but I can give you one that like actually will last if you do something for me. Right. All you have to do is take Rene Picard off the board. That's it. Interesting that Q needs help. Back at the chateau, Raffi and Picard share a moment about how strange it is that Talome looks so much like Laris. Oh, no. But she looks exactly like... I'm aware. Well, doesn't that make you feel a little kind of creepy? Yes. Good talk. Which should be the only thing anyone talks about <laughs> this entire episode. <laughs> you know, it's actually not that big of a deal. I'm already over it. I really enjoy living in a world where lots of different women look like that. (laughs) You know, my hit rate actually goes up. (laughs) You know, most women in this timeline are like a seven average. Oh, no, seven's not going to work for this joke (laughs) because of her name. You know, most women in this timeline are between a six and an eight, but uh, Laris, <laughs> Laris is a ten for me. And you know me, I love to take tens forward. <laughs> I measure from deck eight. <laughs> so they have a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Talum shows them the footage of Q, the therapist, and... 
talk about how Q has been kind of giving Rene Picard nudges toward quitting the mission, and they have like mere hours left. They need to get Rene like back into a headspace where she can go on this mission. She's destined to find this microorganism that she thinks is sentient on Io and bring it back, and it's like a big deal historically. So they need to get some FaceTime with her, and the last thing she does before quarantine is this gala. And so we get the non-reverse ice film sequence where we discuss how we're going to infiltrate the gala, and it is like a Mission Impossible level deal with the security it's really intense. <laughs> I like how it's not just the RFID invitations. It's the facial recognition once you're in there. Yeah. It's two-factor party authentication. Sure is. And uh, Picard is really keen on sending Gerardi in to do the mission. I think maybe partly this is because she has the skills, but partly because she like needs a win. Like he's he's like doing a leadership thing where he's like, we left her behind last time. It wasn't fair. Also, it doesn't seem like she's that trustworthy because she blew off the head of the Borg Queen. And how do we get home now? This is episode five. We're not that far removed from all of Picard's decisions being bad this season, <laughs> right? Why are we listening to him if we're the McLaughlin group here? <laughs> Some questions being proposed by uh, Rios about maybe we should send Seven or Rafi in first. Yeah. But, um, These are trained partiers. Yeah. Gerardi is going to go in and basically get caught. She's going to take like fake ID to get past the first stage, but she's going to intentionally fail the second stage so that she can get into the security area where she'll find a way to access the computers. And we're like intercutting with the actual party while they're discussing this plan. If what you need as part of your plan is someone to act strange enough to be pinched, <laughs> like Gerardi is actually a great choice because this is all part of the plan the whole time. She gets pinched and taken into the security office just like they planned. Yeah. Oh. Hello. Do you think that they replicated all their evening wear at this point? Because they had to, like, find stuff that didn't look too fascist to go out in public in, on, in, like, episode when they first arrive in this time. That's a great convention question. Like, <laughs> they they didn't have power I, yeah. on the ship to replicate, clearly. But now they do, maybe? Anyways. It's not fun to ask those questions. No. She arrives in a, a hell of a dress. Yeah. But does get pinched and gets sent into the back. There was a line I wanted to interrogate with you. She's been like double handcuffed to this bench in the security area. Like one hand on each armrest is handcuffed. And there's two security guards and they're talking about how she's like snuck into the party and that's weird. Why is she cuffed? She's a trespasser. Ramsey said to get her prints. She's probably from Newport Beach. We're going to get sued. What does that mean? I haven't lived in L.A. long enough to get the reference. I don't know. I mean, Newport Beach, that's in Orange County. But, like, why? I don't know. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get what that meant at all. Yeah. I, I wonder if, it's, uh, if the significance of it is yet to be revealed or if it's, like, a joke for locals only that I just don't get. Oh, yeah. Maybe you have to be from there. I don't know. 
Anyways, Gerardi got assimilated. Resistance is futile. As a result, she's seeing the Nanaborgs yeah. when she's not there. Yeah. The Nanaborg it makes the case that the, she's been planning it this way all along and that the way that Gerardi is infiltrating this party nicely mirrors the way in which Nanaborg has been orchestrating the entire situation up until now. Yeah. Pretty wild. That's the end of the episode, Ben. Did you like it? I did like it. This episode really goes on a journey. Like, I did not see Mission Impossible Gala at the end of this episode when this episode started. That was a huge surprise to me. And Mm -hmm. I really thought it was a lot of fun. I thought that the um, vulnerability and the, like, intellectual fragility of the Adam Soon character was really interesting. Like somebody that genuinely believes in eugenics and eugenics for the right reasons. Well, yeah, but that's it, right? It's like, like he's a total ends justify the means guy and, and doesn't see the problem with those ends being bad. So that is like a guy that would be uniquely vulnerable to the kind of appeals that Q is making. I thought Brent Spiner did a great job. I was really happy to see Issa Briones back in the show and very curious to see, like, because Adam Soong seems to be kind of a founding father figure in the future that they just came from. So that eugenics outlook seems to have become sort of a foundational idea in human politics going forward. Noonien Soong is an eccentric weirdo in TNG, but like there is kind of a dark side to the kind of research he's doing. And if you can get with the idea that his great, 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 great grandfather was also up to like similar kinds of research, but using far more limited technology, it's interesting to think about like that technology gone wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that when you start messing around with that backstory, I think you might unintentionally change how a person might feel about data. Because this is a family business, right? Right. (laughs) Generation after generation after generation has led to a character that we really like. But if the characters involved were evil as it seems like the road that this Sung is walking kind of gives you a weirder feeling about yeah. uh, about the costs involved with making a data, you mm-hmm. know? I'm with you, Ben. I really, I like the episode and I like it more because like the last episode moved the pieces around and this episode pays that off, right? Like this totally. is getting our Warhammer characters in proximity to people to interact with and those interactions are happening and there are consequences now. I mean, in the last episode, everyone was separated and now they're together and that's where the action happens. So yeah, I liked it a lot. And I I was not familiar with Penelope Mitchell's work before this episode. I know she's a working actor and she's in a bunch of sci-fi and related programs. You know, we've talked episode after episode about like, wow, casting young Guinan, gotta get that right. And they did. And uh, you listen to Penelope Mitchell talk and you look at her in a scene and like she is plausibly Picard. Yeah. In a way that that works so far. So I'm 
I'm interested in seeing what happens with her character next, but I'm enjoying the performance so far. Well, do you want to see if you enjoy any of the Priority One messages in our Priority One inbox, Adam? It just has to do with uh, whether or not I can perform them <laughs> ably. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. The first Priority One message is from Pedro. It is to Paolo, Dave, Jess, and Chris. The message goes like this. Fellow Picardologists. <laughs> you know, you could turn that into Picardiologist, couldn't you? Given his mm. heart condition. <laughs> well, he doesn't have it anymore. Right, yeah. I'm so grateful for the camaraderie we've developed through our common love of Trek. Paul, you're the best brother a brother could ask for. Dave, you have a singular wit, and I couldn't ask for a better ring bearer. Chris, I love your takes on pretty much everything. And Jess, well, you're just the most badass person I know. Wow. Really spreading the love is Pedro. I love it. P1. That's a crew right there. Yeah. Get yourself a crew like Pedro's crew. Yeah. Our next one here is from Jack from Melbourne, Australia, and it is to Ben and Adam, the greatest podcast host and the entire Expert Shimoda team. Goes like this. Your podcasts have helped me through four plus years of commutes, workouts, dog walks, and household chores and made a crucial contribution to positive mental health in challenging times. I have a Kern-like inability to remember how I coped without them. My second annual P1 is simply a huge and sincere thanks for being the greatest discovery my ears have ever made. Oh, Wow, thanks, Jack. Jack. So kind of you to say. There is one way you could make it up to us. Uh, <laughs> figure out how we could do a show in Australia. Yeah, that would be Wouldn't great. Wouldn't that be I mean, great? That's not really Jack's job. Like We, we have an agent for that. <laughs> yeah, if, if there's like a podcast festival or something like that in Australia, definitely recommend us to them. If they've got like an email, that would be cool. Jack is so nice about their message. I just want to make it up. Yeah. With a I live would, show. I would love to get out to Melbourne and do a live show. That would be the funnest. Yeah. I bet their rooftop hot tubs are heated a little better <laughs> than the ones in Minneapolis. <laughs> I'm sure the hot tub is not that different. It's just the the air that you have to walk through to find the, the server that's different. The, the bubbles bubble the opposite direction there, Ben. Oh, right. Yeah, they go down. <laughs> Wow. Well, if you'd like to get a Priority One message on the show, we would sure appreciate it. It's uh, 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. And uh, you can do that at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? Adam, my Edward Larkin is deep, deep off screen. Whoa. It is a headcanon Larkin. I guess it was the eugenic stuff that Adam Soong was talking that put me in this headspace. But I was thinking about Noonien Soong, who is the creator of Data. Mm -hmm. And we know that Khan Noonien Singh was Mm -hmm. like one of the most brutal autocrats in Earth history in future time. Uh-huh. So that would be like if your last name was Hurtler and you named your son Adolf. Like <laughs> nobody makes the connection if his name is like Jerry, but the second you name him Adolf, it's like, ugh, that sounds just like Adolf Hitler. 
They named their son Noonien Soong. <laughs> what did they think was going to happen? <laughs> Besides like, a very difficult uh, path through school. So fucking lucky that he didn't turn out the way Adam Soong did, <laughs> is all I got to say. Yeah. God, you're right about that. Uh, <laughs> did you have an Edward Larkin, Adam? I think it's going to be the Borg Queen until it isn't. Wow. Uh, the Nanoborg pulling strings and throwing tentacles <laughs> all over the place. She's barely in this episode, and she really affects some destruction. As far as, like, value per minute, <laughs> she's really off the charts at this point. So that's why I'm going to make her... I'm just going to make her my Larkin until someone knocks her off the podium. Wow. Which would okay. be pretty easy to do because she's pretty top heavy. <laughs> so you've uh, you've kind of given up on picking out Larkins for the rest of the season, more or less. <laughs> Not at all. I believe in I believe in the other characters' ability to do that. Oh, okay, all right. And I'm here for it. I I want that to happen. But for now, Nana Borgs. Okay, all right. I'm into it. Are you into? The sixth episode of Star Trek Picard. I am, Adam, and folks will hear about that in the credits for this episode. But uh, for now, I think it's our time to sign off. Yeah, it's time to uh, hop on a plane. Yeah. Head to Toronto. No, I think we're back from Toronto when this comes out, right? Oh, shit. Well, no, I mean, like, that's behind the pod. Like, Oh, like, yeah. We can be past people. Right. Heading to Toronto to do a great show. Right, but if you're listening to this, don't go to the Toronto live show because it already happened. Right. If you're listening to this show on the day it comes out, this is our Northwest swing. So uh, it's Portland and Seattle this week. Cannot wait. That is going to be super fun. It's going to be fun shows. Bring your swimsuit, Ben. Oh. That's what I'm saying. Good thinking. All right. Well, now listen to these credits and find out a little something about the next episode. The Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced by Wendy Pretty. This episode was guest edited by Ryan Wheaton. Next week's episode of Picard is titled Two of One, and is described thusly by Paramount. With the help of Talon, Picard and the crew infiltrate a gala on the eve of a joint space mission to protect one of the astronauts they believe to be integral to the restoration of the timeline, Rene Picard. Meanwhile, Corey makes a startling discovery about her father's work. The original music for the show, including the music you're hearing right now, is by Adam Ragusea. He's currently got a fun and informative cooking channel on YouTube, which you can find by simply searching Adam Ragusea. Big thanks go out to the card daddy Bill Tilly for managing the greatest Trek social media accounts on Instagram and Twitter. Give us a follow on those and use the hashtag greatestdiscovery to chat about the show with other FODs. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support it with money, you can purchase a P1 for an upcoming episode at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. You can also support the show for free by recommending it to a friend or leaving a nice review on platforms that let you do that. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more of The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.